Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Well, hello, Tom. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. How are you, Russ? It's been a full 24 hours since we've talked. I know. <laughs> Something like that. You'd think we'd be sick of each other by now. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> Russ is like, no comment. <laughs> I just didn't want to say anything, Tom. <laughs> My kind of that's, people. That's what you get. <laughs> Don't leave open doors like that one about. <laughs> so today we are joined by Carrie Goetz. Did I say it right? Goetz? Getz. Getz. Carrie okay, Getz. Carrie yep. Getz. And Carrie has this really cool book out about data center jobs. So we just wanted to talk through some of the data center jobs. You know, we're network nerds, number one. And so we don't tend to think about what's outside the network. The other thing is, is that I know that I came into networking through electronic engineering. And anybody who's hung out and listened to me long enough probably knows that I started by working on radio systems and climbing towers and dropping 40 meter inverted V's and stacking up log, soldering together log periodic dipoles and yaggies and stuff like that. And then um, went through the Air Force and ended up in comp sci, or ended up in, in networks, primarily through telco. <clears throat> that's kind of my path. I'm not sure that's a path anymore. I'm not really positive that path exists. Like there are many people who are hanging inverted V's and, and soldering together yaggies. So I think that path is kind of gone. So one thing I'm very interested in is how do people get into networking now? I mean, Tom and I have talked about this in the past on various shows. It's like popped up in conversation like, okay, so I always find that people who have electronics backgrounds are better engineers than people who come straight out of coding. Just because I don't know why it just feels that way to me a lot of times that they know more about the network. They understand more about the physical stuff going on, particularly people who do radio stuff have done radio stuff in their background. I don't know, Tom, you might might disagree with that, but we've had this kind of conversation ongoing in a long time about like people who come out of tech, people who come out of the troubleshooting operations side, people who come out of engineer out of some other branch of engineering. I don't know, for some reason there's more of a, a spidey sense or something about the way things work, in my experience. And and maybe that's just a, a craziness on my part, but so I thought it'd be really cool to talk about some of the other pathways into the career field, into network engineering and other areas of the world that we don't really talk about a lot. So I don't know. I mean, any thoughts, Tom, before we jump over to Carrie and start hammering her with hard questions? No, I think I think things are changing. I also think that a lot of the things that were um, sort of on ramps into networking, some of those fields are full career paths in their own right now. Um, they don't, aren't necessarily like do this and then you can do it as something better. Like, I think there's a lot of, and I, and I also think we're, we're, we're in danger of losing expertise in those things that are, that are physical, that are real. And that's a problem because none of the coding or the stuff that we do can survive without the real world underneath it. And yeah. so, um, anyway, I just, I think it's a really important topic. Yeah. Cool. So, okay, talk to us a little bit about, like, what are other areas and, like, how do you see this? I mean, I'm not even sure where to start sometimes. So, yeah, in the book, I kind of took it from inception through a data center build, right? And I and I picked it that way. What goes into site selection? How do you determine what your site is? What are the jobs in site selection? 
And then when you move on to construction, bringing in the trades and all of those kind of things, because I think a lot of those people that build data centers definitely have aptitude to do other things. Uh, certainly people with electronics backgrounds are, are part of that. But to me, I think the thing that was kind of the crime in the whole thing, data centers have been around for a very long time. Every known digitally documented thing on the planet resides in at least one data center. Now, they may be accessible to the outside world. They may not, but they're in a data center, at least one. And so the diversity that needs to follow that needs to be everybody, right? We don't need a group in one city deciding how everybody in the world is going to interact. It needs to include all of us because we're all going to use that. It's all our information. And when you think of IT and IT instruction in schools and coding academies and tech merit badges, all of those are little snippets. But what they don't talk about is that whole entire ecosystem that's surrounded. And so what I started learning, especially working with younger kids, was if their first experience with tech was a coding academy and they don't like solving puzzles and coding is not up their alley, they just leave the whole industry because that's their exposure. So they assume the whole industry is, you know, the code they learned to write that they hated to write when they learned to write code. And really, there is this whole myriad of not just technical jobs in the industry, but supporting jobs, sales, operations, marketing, management, um, you know, all the way down to trade show people and events people. And so when you start looking at the data center as an ecosystem and say, well, not just the networking guys, but who else do they deal with? First off, that's a big, huge world. And second off, if you are that networking guy, understanding all the stuff that goes around you makes you a better networking guy, right? You understand more. I'll give you a great example. I was working with a company down in Australia years ago on a project, and they got this networking layout from a networking company. And, you know, this was pushing top of rack architecture, and it was going to be all great. And I said, well, look, you know, you guys don't have enough power to even fill these cabinets. So why are you putting switches in the top of a cabinet that would support this huge payload when you don't even have that payload? What if you move those switches and used a cable plant to make them accessible to the other cabinets? And this is what your equipment would look like. And it was $25 million less. Now, the networking team had no idea that you could do it in a different configuration because they did like a lot of companies do. And they hit the easy button and asked their vendor, hey, what's the latest, greatest? And of course, the vendor is happy to provide those solutions, but not necessarily what's best for your ecosystem as a whole. And so if you view the ecosystem and say, okay, well, here's the networking gear, but here's the power it's going to take to run it. Here's how many ports I'm going to buy. Here's how many I'm going to use. Here's how many are going to be wasted. Here's my throughput and all of those other things, but view it as far as what's going to be in the ecosystem and just saying, you know, look at your world. If you said, okay, well, the network is the only thing that it needs to run everything. So I'm just going to put this networking gear in and everybody's going to have to attach to me. That's a really irresponsible decision for a company. And so, and even from a jobs perspective, people that started out in that, once they learn about the other parts of that ecosystem, it opens up, you know, thousands of other jobs that would not have been in their purview and wouldn't have been on their radar if they'd only focused on networking, for instance. So, you know, I think it's important to understand all of that. And it is an ecosystem. You make one screw up in networking, 
it, it affects a lot more than just the network, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and <laughs> Access, I would say control jobs, resumes, yeah, you know, those yeah. things. <laughs> I would, I would actually say even further than that, like me understanding what else is out there. Again, I, my my daughters have friends, and they're like, I want to get into IT, but all I know about is coding. Like they think that if you're not in coding, and they don't even know about my career field. Most of these people I talk to, even at University of Tennessee, University of Colorado, and stuff like that. They don't know the network side even exists. They don't even like it, it's coding or it's nothing. And I think the broader view helps us draw people in and helps them understand there's a lot more out there than what you're talking about, right? And well, sure. Uh, I mean, if your first experience to exercise was a 10K, mm -hmm. how excited would you be about doing any kind of exercise <laughs> yeah, after exactly. that? Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 That's, that's exactly the way it is. Or somebody put you on a put you on a squat rack and says, here, squat this 500 pounds. And you're like, oh, I can't even move that. I guess I'm worthless. And you just stop working on it. Right. Yeah. That's that's everybody's got to start. We're all ignorant till we know you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is I personally believe that most of our jobs don't require a college degree. And I think that it's a shame that we have indoctrinated. And, and to be fair, my generation is largely responsible for this because that's where the good paying jobs were. Right. Back in back in the day, I mean, I'm in my 60s. Back then, if you didn't have a college degree, you made decent money, but you didn't make great money. The good money jobs were the white collar jobs, and that was you know trained in me. And then, of course, we trained it into our, our kids. But most of our jobs don't require a degree. Most of these jobs are learned anyway. Even if you got a degree, you still got to go get certified to do the jobs anyway. So why are we doing the degree part first? Why don't we put them into these jobs, use them as on ramps, and then if you're a student. Most of these companies have tuition reimbursement. You can go out and get whatever degree you want and have it be completely paid for. No college debt. Yeah. And in, and in fact, I did not get my first degree until I had been in the industry for five or 10 years. And Exactly. A lot of people did. Yeah. And, and this also speaks to the other side of this, which is we now treat colleges as tech schools. That's pretty much what colleges have become. That's not really the intent. The intent is to build a well-rounded person who knows how to research things Things like that. It's not to teach you coding. It's not to teach you electrical. Like you don't need college for that stuff. You need college but you don't for need college to become a well-rounded individual either. Well, right, but but you can treat it as a guide, right? You can treat it as, and you can use it as a set of resources for people to help you learn things that you might not otherwise encounter or talk about. Um, so I think we misconstrued college to start with. I think even colleges have started misconstruing what college really means and kind of converted themselves and into tech values. schools. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there certainly are things that are value, but I'm going to tell you, you know, at my age, most of the people my age in this industry learned from the school of hard knocks. We made yeah. mistakes. We paid for them sometimes with our job. <laughs> You know, everybody, everybody's got a situation. I say that some people I'm sure have paid for their job. I have not, but, but, you know, but to that point, a lot of it is on the job training. A lot of it's what you learn and you can get those other skills in a variety of ways. Some people get them from homeschooling. Some people get them from a regular classroom scenario. Some people get them off the internet and programs like Curriki and, and those that, that help teach because that's an avenue that's available to them. Not everybody understands or learns in a classroom environment. As much as you try to be the 80-20 rule, there's still the 20% that think outside of that or that learn outside of that, that might actually excel and do much better if you took 
algebra out of their equation, right? Because mm -hmm. algebra might be the thing that makes them hate school. So I think we have multiple paths to learning. I mean, we've had MOOCs for years, which are massive open online classes that are the same classes they teach in every college. Anybody can go take one. You don't get credit for it because you're not paying for it because it's free, but you get to at least say that you went through the course materials and you have that benefit of knowledge for yourself. And I think now too, if you add in the fact that a lot of these kids just came through a two-year COVID lockdown, so they've missed all the career days, all the career fairs, going to work with your parents, I mean, outside of walking into the dining room, right? Um, you know, so a lot of kids don't know what they want to do. Most people in this industry fell in it anyway. Yeah, even the first low-paying job they've missed because those yeah. places were closed, right? Yep, yep. And so, yeah. I think the, the, the big thing that drives business value is outcomes. It's not uh, necessarily credentials. Um, even though a lot of HR kind of put that in front of um, uh, in front of the higher paying jobs, it's, oh, you have to have a bachelor's degree or we're not even going to talk to you. That's sort of artificial, like, uh, you know, like what you're saying, Carrie, the, the, a person's ability to do the job is almost never predicted by their credentials. And so like, but outcomes is the thing, like to achieve business outcomes, you do have to have skills and you do have to have education of some sort. You have to have some sort of uh, ability to deliver um, and get something done. And that I, I think oh, that's- I'm, the... I'm not discounting education. I'm just saying it can come in multiple forms. It doesn't have to mm -hmm. be through a $100,000 college program. Yeah, totally, totally. It's the outcomes that matter. Like how the person gets themselves to the point where they can deliver business outcomes. There are lots of ways to do that. It's not just one. Um, and I think like when I, when I interview people now, this has changed for me in the last couple of years, when I interview people, I am less thinking about, um, how many years of experience do you have doing X? I almost never ask about that anymore. Now it's like, how do you accomplish this? Like, what's your thought process? How do you get this going? How do you make this happen? And what, when you have barriers and obstacles, how do you overcome them and still meet deadlines? Um, that's the kind of thing that I, I that's, that's really the kind of person I want to work with. And the person of the business wants, I think. Oh, for sure. And, and I used to do the same thing. Thing, you know, and if, if they rambled on for 30 minutes and never got to a solution or never said I'd call tech support, you know, my opinion of them dropped a little bit because that's part <laughs> sure. of the way you gain that knowledge, right? Even if you go to a certification, it's best world, you know, it's never going to break. It's always going to be lovely. There's going to be roses growing out of your routers and they're going to operate <laughs> like this. And we know that that's, I mean, the school of hard knocks is where you learn the big stuff, right? So I think that we have to do a better job of providing these on-ramps to kids. And I think we have to do a better job of just making the industry known. I mean, if you go, I, I talked to, I, I just did a thing with some students um, a couple of months ago, well, last month, and there was about 75 students in the room. And I said, how many of you have heard about data centers before today? And one person raised their hand. I said, who in your family works in a data center? My dad. I mean, that kind of says it all, right? The data yeah. centers house all of our information. You interact with them every day on your phone, your streaming services, your TV. I mean, you don't literally do anything that doesn't touch a data center and nobody knows what it is. Right. Yeah. I was just thinking all those, all these, uh, the, the kids you see at, um, you know, food service jobs or whatever. Um, why couldn't they, if they can, if they can serve you a hamburger, why couldn't they go do a lot of the work that um, needs to be done in data centers too? Not, not saying that all that work is that low level, but I would love to see teenagers um, doing, and, and I'd love to work with them. Yeah. I don't even think it's that it's low level. I think it's the fact that you have an open door to a mind that wants to learn. Right. Mm, I don't right. think, I mean, entry level, I guess would probably be better than low level, but you know, I, 
everybody's got to start somewhere and we have tons of jobs that are honestly skilled trades. And in, in my mind, we owe the trades everything because if it weren't for the trades, nothing would be built. Nobody would have an office. Nobody would have a desk chair to put their butt in. Nobody would have a desk to write on. You know, we owe the trades literally everything. And somehow it's just sort of gotten to be that way in society that somehow people that work with their hands aren't as good. And, and it's really the opposite. I feel bad for people in the trades because they do this beautiful craftsmanship and this artistry and they have this pride in their work. And then they leave when the job's done. And a month later, somebody walks into the data center and sees all the piping and the cable plant and everything's just laid in and beautiful. And they just have that oh moment. And the poor guys from the trades never get to see that moment. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but but it happens. It happens all the time. And I mean, these are perfectly respectable, good paying jobs. You can feed your family on them. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with any of those jobs. And the other thing is I do a good bit of work with transitioning uh, veterans from the military and helping them get in because they have a lot of the same skills that are very parallel to some of the stuff, you know, that we do in the mission critical industry. And there's jobs for all kinds of people. There's jobs for the people that thrive on that chaos that really just need that constant energy around them all day. And there's people, you know, jobs for people that want to be in sales and they just like to get to know people and talk to people. And, you know, th there's all kinds, there's such a huge gamut of jobs that also include networking, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. let's back up for a second and talk about, you said in the book, you start out with site selection. So let's talk through some of the jobs that are out there for this. We don't have to go into a lot of detail, but like, you know, like what is out there? What, 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 what are we not thinking about? So when you think about site selection, think about county liaisons, think about people that work with tax departments for the state for the tax credits people that liaise with the energy companies to make sure you have power, renewable, sustainable energy, real estate folks that do really well with commercial real estate, buying data center space or spaces to build a data center that's pretty specialized. And it's a fun, mm -hmm. fun area to get into. And then once you get past that and you move into the design and build phase, obviously you've got all of the engineering but on top of that, you have drafters, you have people that sell engineering services to people. You have, the commissioning agents that go in and make sure it all got built right. You have all of the tradespeople that participate in the build. And then moving from there, you have people that train the operations personnel. And then you have the networking engineers, the server engineers, the storage engineers, the knock personnel that sit there and monitor network services and make sure there's no fires in the data center. Security personnel, that's a big part. You know, cybersecurity is one, but you also have physical, physical security, yeah. making sure that people don't, you know, get in and do what they're not supposed to. And then, of course, you have all the application folks that use the resources within the, within the data center. And, and so and, you put all of these things together and it's a nice little ecosystem, right? Yeah. And by the way, we do really bad with physical security. I'm just going to say we're really horrible. Humans are really bad at physical security. There well, we, we want to be trusting, right? We yeah. all still want to live in the age when you can leave your car unlocked and your front door unlocked. We unfortunately do not. Yeah. <laughs> But we all kind of crave that just safety. We want to believe that people yeah. are genuinely good, not jerks. And some of yeah, I used to work in a secure facility where the I probably shouldn't say this. Well, the secure facility is probably long gone by now. Where we had a drop ceiling, and to get into the secure facility, you used a you used a um, a keypad type thing, right? Right. Well, after being there for a month, they said it was time to change the keypad thing. So 
we went out and got a ladder and went and the keypad programming thing is in a little sheet metal box above the drop ceiling outside the door of the secure facility and you're well, like that just reeks of security <laughs> you're like, really this I mean, is I guess how the this assumption works. is you're supposed to notice the ladder with the guy <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> funny story though about physical security you'll get a kick out of this so years ago i had a customer he looked every time we went for lunch, he had to go to this all you can eat buffet. Well, in the data center, their man trap has weights in it. It's yeah. got a weight system. So it can measure if you weigh more when you came out than you went in and vice versa, you know, to see if people are taking stuff in. That's one of the things they use to trigger an alarm because they don't have full-time security. Well, this dude put away, I don't know how many plates of food. It was kind of embarrassing after about the first 20 <laughs> minutes that he could still consume so much food. And when we went back, sure enough, he tripped off the weight thing and the <laughs> trap and the machine guns showed up and the armed guards. It's like, <laughs> yeah. all he did was eat an extra pizza or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have lots, I have lots of stories like that from being out in secure areas and on flight lines and stuff like that when I was in the air force. So yeah, it's kind of crazy, but so let's go back to the build process as far as electrical, like describe to me all the trades involved. Well, maybe not all the trades, because, you know, we don't have five hours, but maybe describe well, to me all the trades involved in building a data center. Like the building is up, right, which we know requires laying footers and building walls. And most of these are still frame buildings, I'm assuming, nowadays and things like that. Concrete. Actually. Yeah. Con okay. Concrete okay. buildings. Um, and then you build the building. And then you've got to have what? I mean, what do you do from there? Well, so all the trades, all the construction trades, obviously, were involved up until that point. Heavy uh, equipment operators, diesel mechanics, all that good stuff. When you get inside the building and say the building is constructed, you still need electricians. You know, you've got to have people that put in all the power conditioning, all the uh, power control equipment. You're going to have um, subject matter experts, engineers to do all that piece. Right, I was going to say, that's not just one job though, right? There oh, is... no, that's multiple, multiple jobs. Yeah, that's yeah. power conditioning, that's high voltage, that's step-down voltage, that could be DC specialists, that could be... There's a lot AC, of different... Yeah. Yep. Low voltage cabling, right. fiber, obviously, you've got to have all the fiber in there for the stuff to communicate, uh, copper for the stuff to communicate, and then, of course, you've got management systems... Um, any of those systems that are in there, you have test and development teams, then you also have regular development teams, and then you have operations teams, database management, all of those kind of things. And, and all of those are ones that don't necessarily require a degree. And I think, you know, to say that somebody has to learn at a college setting as opposed to learning on the job is, is kind of awful. And so... I work with a lot of companies that are starting their own training, and this is why. Last time I checked, 31% of the adult working population had a four-year degree. 14% of those are doctors and lawyers, which means 17% of the population has a four-year degree, and we're trying to fill every job with 17% of the population. Yeah. It's not going to happen. And HR is being lazy, 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 lazy trying to say, trying to rely on somebody's degree because we all know educated idiots. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that 17% includes people who have weirdo degrees that are working in Starbucks or of whatever, course. because yeah. there is no like, you know, um, and, and here's the thing about degrees too, that people may not understand. 
So once I got into networking, I got a bachelor's in, in design and network design. And then I got a master's in network design and then went off and got a theology degree. And people are like, why would you go get a theology degree? Like, that's crazy. For me, it was, again, going back to being fully human, to being actually to, to interact with people at that level and understand this stuff and then going into a Ph.D. in philosophy. And like th this to me is about interacting with people and understanding people and understanding things better about life. But I don't think anybody in HR should hire me because I have a Ph.D. in philosophy. Right. Like, that's crazy. They should hire me because I have 30 years experience doing network engineering. That's a different world. Well, yeah. Well, for sure. And I mean, at some point, especially in tech, a 10 year old degree is worthless. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, none of that technology still exists unless you're doing legacy systems. Yeah. Well, and I think it's funny because colleges try to every now and then you'll see a, a, a you'll see a survey from a college that'll say, what are the five hottest languages? Because they're trying to switch their program over to teaching that language. And you're like, I don't really care what language, you know, when you walk in the door. I mean, I'm impressed if you know C. But I don't really care between Python and, I don't know, whatever else, Ruby on the Rails, Ruby on the rails or, whatever, yeah. or whatever it is. I want to know that you know what how programming works, right? Because if you know how programming works, now you can learn any language. Oh, sure. For sure. And C is a good introductory language for that. But yeah, I, um, you know, I used to write code. It's not for everybody. Not everybody enjoys just yeah. sitting down, staring at a computer all day, I, pounding the keyboard. I can't do it. Honestly, I don't think I could I, do it full time. I think your first few programs are fun because yeah. it's kind of like, you know, having a kid and growing them up, you know, a little bit and you get to see your stuff kind of come to life. But it's but it is a monotony, you know, and, and not everybody. I'd put accounting in that same category. Yeah. I can do accounting. Do I want to be an accountant? Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah. You know, and so, yeah, I think that's all now. All right. So now we've built the building. We have our electricians in. Now we have cabling people, right? You were talking about fiber. Is that all structured wiring nowadays? Are people doing their own wiring in this area? Yeah, well, like, it should all be structured wiring. It should. And it's not always, but it should be. And I say that because it's kind of like anything, right? The more organized you are, the easier it is when it comes time to troubleshoot. And those are the times when you have the least amount of time to find mm -hmm. things, sort things out. So structure cabling definitely is the benefit there. I know it's kind of weird, especially since you guys are in networking. I'm sure you'll be able to relate to this, but networking seems like they always sell against cabling. And so, you know, if you buy this switch, it's less cabling. If you buy this switch from us in a direct attached copper cable, you won't have to spend money on that structured cable. But what they don't tell you is you have to replace that every time you change your equipment. In a structured cable, you don't. It's going to work through multiple iterations. And so as long as you know what you're doing, your cable has been properly installed, properly tested, properly terminated, it'll last you through multiple generations of electronics. But, you know, here's the deal. The cabling budget typically is in a different department than the networking budget. And so the networking guy knows, well, I can't sell you networking gear if you have to upgrade your cable plant unless I sell you the cable plant too. And now, you know, the structure cabling kind of disappears a little bit, except in fiber. Or, you know, there's cases where somebody plugged in new sand director and it was at a higher speed. And so the link loss budget was different on the fiber because of the, the protocol requirements and it quit working. So they plugged in a long cord to see if it was the cord and that worked. So now they have the assumption that every single storage device in their data center has to be direct connected <laughs> because it worked once, you know, 
<laughs> because they don't really understand. But that's that's one of those things I'm talking about in that ecosystem, right? It could be something very simple, like one fiber being gone that puts everybody going nuts. Like even as a networking guy, would you check the port first or would you check the cable first? Yeah, always check the port first. Because I would assume the optics on the port are the first first point of failure for any kind of, right. you know, if, if if the network is down, first point first port of call is going to be the optics on the port. Because that's now, 99%. if you were a networking guy though, and somebody came and said, "Hey, this port's down," what would be the first thing you check? You mean if you're a cabling cable. person? Yeah, you check yeah, the cable. You check the cable. That's right. Yeah. And by by the way, the CC the CCIE lab used to play on this. I don't think they do this anymore. They used to give us way back in the day. Boy, this is going to like really date me now. Um, way back in the day when I picked my CCIA, they had 60-pin cables and AGS pluses, right? And the 60-pin cable is set up such that each connector in the 60-pin cable can be pushed back, and it connects at the very end of the connector, not like midway up. So you've got this half-inch or three-quarter-inch pin, and it connects in the last quarter-inch of that pin. If you're lucky. So, yeah, so you can pick a pair of pliers and you can push that pin back in the connector just about a quarter of an inch and you'll no longer get a connection and you'll you'll get all sorts of weird symptoms. Like you'll get, okay, unicast works and multicast doesn't or you'll get like just all sorts of stupid things that you would never expect out of an HDMI link. And so they used to do that. They used to have this big rack of cables and you could go grab a cable and plug it in. You'd be working on building your lab. And this one link is not working or these five links aren't working. And you're sitting there fighting with the transceiver and everything else. And it's the stinking cable. They've actually messed with the cable so that it's not. But you actually right. thought through that exercise, you worked out that cable can go bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and I mean, you know, some people have cabling run by people that can match colors and it, <laughs> you know, it never should have run, never would have run, never oh, could have run. Oh my goodness. It uh, happens. Yeah, I I had an electrician into one of the houses that I that I worked that I built for my family, and I told him I wanted Ethernet in every room. So he ran all the Ethernet was great. The the connectors were there. He ran it to a straight shot back to a, a sixty six block, so I could punch everything down. Everything was happy. Um, and then I got in there and started plugging. Things wouldn't work. So I started pulling the the things apart. And what he had done is is he had done a on the 66 block and B, B on, on the all the... <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> That'll do it in a heart. Yeah, it's yep. not going to work that way. <laughs> it so. is, but those are great paying jobs. I mean, it's a very good specialty. Kids can go straight out of high school, apprenticeship for any of these skilled trades, and then have, you know, have a great career. And if they want to do something in addition or they want to go back to college and get that, most of these employers pay for that. It's a, it's a benefit. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's lots of paths to learning. My deal was in writing this book is I think you have to have exposure, right? I mean, if you never knew what a nuclear scientist was, you'd never know to become one because yeah. it, it would just be completely out of your frame of reference. And for years in the data center industry, we were really kind of not, not secret spy. You know, nobody can't tell people where the data center is. It's, it's a risk thing, you know, yeah, somebody's right. going to sneak in. And now it's not like that, obviously, because there's a real estate component. So you have to advertise. So we got over that, but we never really got around to telling people about the industry yeah. in Northern Virginia. You know, they're doing internship programs, right, left. Um, TJ over at Stack is running one now for kids in that program. And even when I was over there talking to them, like the guy that does the course for the electrician said, one of the problems he had 
even though the kids were electricians and had been through the program, once they gave them some of the specialty equipment from a data center, they zoned out and were afraid to even go for those jobs when really it's electrical theory. It's just called something different in that yeah. particular chain in a data center. It's not that you can't use how to do it. It's just very intimidating. And I, I just wanted to take that intimidation out of there. Yeah, that's, that's actually a major problem in our industry is that we like to name things fancy stuff. Uh, if you go look and then, at 5G. And then put an acronym on it. Yes, that's exactly right. Go look at 5G. <laughs> and you're like, once you actually read the spec on how something works, you're like, okay, that's mobile IP. But they don't call it mobile IP. They call it something completely different. And you're like, why is it called that? Like, And they have all these interfaces, the B interface and the U interface. And then you're like, why, why do we have all this stuff? Can't we just say it plugs in here and that's the way it works? Like, why do I need all this stuff? So we, we do, we over complexify. The other thing I bring up about these trades that I think is interesting and kind of makes me rethink my career sometimes when I go back is that, or when I think through what I've done with my life, is that a lot of these careers lead to independent businesses. Electricians, I mean, it's very hard as a network engineer to start an independent business. I'm just going to tell you flat out. You almost always end up working for somebody large because what are you going to do? Like hang out a shingle and be a consultant? And that's actually a lot harder than it sounds. I'm just telling you, that's a lot harder it than is. it sounds. <laughs> and so, so, but these jobs, like as an electrician, like you can start your own electrical business and subcontract. And all of a sudden you have not just this data center, but every data center in the country that's willing to pick you up as long as you're willing to drive there to go do it or fly there to go do it. So I think a lot of these jobs are actually better in some ways than being coders or being... Well, they are. They absolutely are. And, and there's no student debt, right? So most of these apprenticeship programs lead to really, really great paying jobs. And honestly, the jobs are getting better because people don't want to do things anymore. And the people that can do things now make a whole bunch of money. In New York City right now, if you start out um, going through the electrician, apprentice, journeyman program, you get out making about $150,000 a year and oh, nobody. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's yeah. not bad. Yeah, you know? no, it's not bad at all. Yeah. And, and the upside, like I said, is eventually you can start your own business and maybe you, you hire a couple of people and you end up making two or $300,000 a year and having building value in the economy that sure. you wouldn't otherwise build. So it's, yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Well, and it's the opportunity to meet people where they want to work too, right? Yeah. Because not everybody wants to do what you do. Not everybody wants to do what I do. You know, we have to have, it takes all kinds to do all things. And I think meeting people where they want to work makes people happier anyway. Yeah. Carrie, I wanted to go back to, um, you were talking about helping uh, veterans uh, transition into civilian life. Um, and I wonder, cause so, so we've talked a lot about kind of the, the younger the younger crowd kind of coming into a career, but then there's other people like the, like the veterans that are making a switch. They had, they, the one thing was their occupation. Now they're going to do another thing. Um, I'm just curious what kind of experiences you had there. What, what was hard for them? What were some common issues that they before, had? Before you jump in, Carrie, I'll tell you that my transition from being a veteran to not being a veteran was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. They all, everybody I've worked with say that says that, that it was, it was incredibly difficult I went through some extremely hard times trying to get back on my feet once I left the Air Force. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I'm married to a vet. Um, and I think for a lot of them, the trick is it's a very different way of life, right? If you go in the military, they tell you what you're going to make. You go in private sector, you have to negotiate a salary. Wait, what? 
<laughs> you go into the military, everybody knows your skills. Somebody's keeping up with you, right? You have your own little brag wall, but but you have your own kind of thing. In the private sector, you got to show everybody what that is. You have to promote yourself. And I think some of those skills are really difficult. And I would say the other thing that I hear most from military veterans coming back is trying to find that purpose. Like when they were in the military, they felt their life had a purpose. They were, you know, everybody was working towards a common goal. And then when you get in regular life outside of the military, sometimes that purpose is hard to find. And so one of the things that I tell them is, look, it takes everybody to make sure that technology functions for all of us. And the way to do that is to make sure everybody's a part of it. And, you know, and we have to bring in all these other people to make that happen. And so there are companies that hire predominantly veterans. Um, I just did a hiring our heroes uh, event with the chamber of commerce. Um, you know, there's a monthly draft that goes out and they have a whole bunch of people just, just so, I guess everybody listening knows there's there's two different programs with the chamber. One is SkillsBridge that's through the U.S. Chamber, and another one's Hiring Our Heroes. Um, SkillsBridge, you get to hire a veteran. They pay 12 weeks of their salary, and then the expectation is you'll hire them at the end if it all works out. Hiring Our Heroes is very similar to that, but it is military spouses, and you know they can work remote jobs, local jobs, whatever. Same kind of thing. They kick in some of the salary. The expectation is you hire them. Now, I will say that one of the complaints that comes out of the military side is that there are companies and recruiters that take advantage of that program and they use people for 12 weeks free wages and then can them and they do mm. that serially. So if you're mm. looking to hire on with some of those programs, make sure you do that. But there's also Salute Mission Critical, Overwatch Mission Critical. All of those are companies that operate in the data, sp data center space that cater specifically to veterans. CBRE, JLL both have big veteran hiring programs. A lot of them do. I think a lot of veterans just don't know really how to put the two and two together. And unless you happen to be in IT in the military, you don't really know about the data center space anyway. But what people don't realize is a lot of our military people are amazing construction people because they rebuild hmm. after wars and they and you know those skills absolutely transfer. So there's lots of different ways to get them involved, you know, from a women's perspective, women's perspective, the attrition rate for women in tech right before COVID was 67%. Not that leave their job, that leave the whole industry. Isn't that a horrible number? Wow. Right? Yeah. And so I thought, you know, if there was something out there that was very easy to digest that people could kind of get comfortable with the topics, you know, maybe that would help. And maybe instead of leaving an industry, they go to a different part of the industry or something, you know, where that experience holds. But yeah, I mean, it's tough. A lot of these kids want to be entrepreneurs. They want to be self-employed starting out. Yeah. And, you know, the trades are a good way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's a big problem in our industry too, is that people drop out because they just don't know what else is available. You code for 15 years, you get tired of it and you go become a farmer. I mean, I know people who've done that, which is cool for them. But like part of the reason they did that was because they didn't know of anything else in the industry. The industry was coding to them. They just didn't know the other stuff. And it is, you know, because honestly, that's most people's first exposure. And that is, that is really, really tricky is trying to separate the coding from the technology, at least from a career standpoint, because it's not the only job by a long shot. People still have to build the machines that run that code, you know? 
So I mean, I don't. Um, so Carrie, maybe tell us a little bit about the book um, so that we can uh, people can find it and uh, where to find you and stuff, so that we can people can reach out to you if they have questions or thoughts or somebody they know who's looking for something. So the book is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It is color and black and white. So make sure you buy the right edition. Uh, if you do buy the black and white edition and you want color pictures, you can go to carrygets.com and I'll send you the color pictures if you prefer. Um, it's also available on Kindle, audiobook, the teacher's guide and the educate, educator's reference is coming out Monday, I, I believe. Um, it's up in Amazon for approvals. So that should be out. And then there's a children's book coming out that follows it um, too. Because we should all have toddlers in our data center. Just saying. Well, no. So the children's <laughs> book is, um, is, it's actually called Polly Packet's Precious Payload. And it is um, it's all about a, a little kid sending a smile to an ill grandma um, and how it gets to the internet and the routers and the networks yeah. and kind of how it all gets there, but in story form for kids. That's nice. really cool. Great. Okay. And so people can find you on LinkedIn, Twitter, Carrie Gets, right? That is correct. Carrie J Gets on Twitter. LinkedIn is Carrie Gets. Yep. All right. Cool. And your website? CarrieGets.com or Strategicom.com. Either All right, one. cool. Just making sure. And then, Tom, where can people get in touch with you? Uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, just search for Tom Ammon. Just search for Tom Ammon. Mm -hmm. Great. All right. And I'm He's Russ the only one in the entire world that will pop up. He is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I usually... found out right after I got married, I'm not the only Carrie Gets either. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, let's see. And I'm Russ White. You can find me here on the hedge at rule11.tech on LinkedIn, on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. I'm actually really hard to find. So, you know, if you just do a Google search, you'll probably find me or a Bing search or DuckDuckGo. I personally use DuckDuckGo most of the time, but you know, that's me. So, Carrie, thanks for coming on. And for our listeners, thank you very much for listening. If you know somebody looking for a job in this area, you know, try to encourage them to do something you know, look beyond the coding, look beyond uh, just what we know and into the other areas and point them at these really great resources. Thanks for your attention because we know that you actually make the hedge happen by listening. Um, so we, we really appreciate your time and your attention. And thanks for listening and we will catch you next time. Mm -hmm.